Welcome to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. Each week brings a new message that looks to invite you into a new life brought by Jesus Christ. We hope you are inspired and changed by God by the message brought by today's speaker. of the city of Jerusalem were mere rubble. This news made Nehemiah very sad, so Nehemiah began to rebuild. He led the people day in and day out. Enemies attacked, but they overcame. God helped them finish the work in only 52 days. The Jews who had once been in captivity now returned home. Change your world in 52 days. The story of Nehemiah. Amen. Amen. It's good to be with you all once uh, more on this beautiful, beautiful fall day. Um, man, the trees are beginning to change, and uh, and uh, it's just a wonderful time of year. I like fall. I'm not so much of a fan of what follows here in a couple of months. And if you love winter, uh, we'll pray for you. <laughs> But I love the time of fall. I love when the when the air is uh, crisp in the morning and the and the changing of the leaves and uh, you know it's it's just a wonderful time of year. Uh, we are beginning a brand new uh, message series entitled "Change Your World in 52 Days," and we are going to hopefully by the time that we are completed with. Uh, this message series, we will begin to see perhaps that God uh, wants us to be a part of his mission here on earth. Each and every one of us have specific gifts, talents, abilities that others do not have, and God desires to use those very things to help our world around us, and the truth be known, our world needs a lot of help. It needs a lot of help. And, and I love the, the story of this man called Nehemiah for, for, for many reasons. The reality that, that he was able to get such a huge project done in such a short amount of time is, is just fascinating to me. But one of the most amazing aspects of the story of Nehemiah is Nehemiah himself. He was not a priest. He was not a prophet. He wasn't a warrior. He wasn't a king. He was just a man, a man who saw and heard something that bothered him. And when it did, he had what I like to call a Popeye moment. Uh, many of you may remember the old cartoon Popeye. There was uh, a famous line that Popeye would often say in the midst of when he was in the midst of his uh, conflict there with Bluto over his girlfriend, Olive Oil. And there would be a line that he would say, I had all I can stand and I can't stand no more. And that is Nehemiah. And by extension, that is you and me. Now, 
Here in just a moment, we're going to be in Nehemiah chapter 1. So if you can begin to find your way there, uh, right after the book of Ezra, we find the book of Nehemiah, and we'll be in uh, chapter 1. Now, just to kind of set the, the back scene here for you, the walls of Jerusalem had been torn down, had been in rubble for 140 years. And, well, why was that? Well, at one point in time, God told the Israelites, obey me and you will be blessed. But the people of Israel did what people do because as a kid, how many of you were like me? Your parents told you, don't do whatever it is. So what is it that you were most likely to try to do? The very thing you were not supposed to do. My parents would often say, don't play in traffic. Now, on the other side, as an adult, I can see the wisdom of that. But as a kid, in my mind, I would say, well, why not? That seems fun. Now, just, I'd never played in traffic. Uh, because I feared more the, the repercussions of playing in traffic besides being, you know, run over. I was afraid more of the punishment that I was going to receive at home. But the reality is God told the Israelites, obey me and you will be blessed. But they turned their hearts and they worshiped false gods. And, and because of that, the Babylonians took them into captivity. Now, at this point in time, uh, that we come into the book of Nehemiah, some of the people have moved back and have begun to rebuild the temple so that they could worship. But the walls of the city remained in rubble. And because of that, the city had no real defenses against enemies. The city of Jerusalem was vulnerable and in a real way was embarrassing. And so we bring this this guy, Nehemiah, into the spotlight. In Nehemiah chapter 1, uh, we begin at verse 1. Nehemiah chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. And if you could uh, and are able, would you please stand for the reading of the word this morning? Nehemiah chapter 1, beginning at verse 1. It, the scripture reads, The words of Nehemiah, son of Hakaliah, in the month of Kislev, in the 20th year, while I was in the citadel of Susa, Hanani, one of my brothers, came from Judah with some other men, and I questioned them about the Jewish remnant that survived the exile, and also about Jerusalem. They said to me, those who survived the exile and are back in the province are in, in great trouble and disgrace. The wall of Jerusalem is broken down, and its gates have been burned with fire. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Father, we thank you for these words. We thank you, Father, that, that we have this wonderful example of, of one who changed their world. And I pray, Father, that as we go through uh, this time together and in the coming weeks, that, that you would just encourage us that there is uh, an area in our lives uh, that you want us to make a difference in our world. 
And I pray, Father, that you would, even in these moments, begin to speak to us uh, about that area. For we thank you in advance for all that you're going to do. For it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You can be seated. Now, Nehemiah, as he is in exile, we know is the cupbearer to Artaxerxes of Persia. And cupbearer is a fancy title for a not-so-glamorous job because back in those days, it would be quite common for folks who were a little bit upset with the ruling uh, leaders of the day to attempt to assassinate them. And they would go through various modes. And one of those modes would be to poison uh, the king or the leader. And so Nehemiah's job, and the not so glamorous one at that, was when drink would be uh, brought to the king, he would test it first. He would taste it first because the king would know that if Nehemiah would taste it and he fell over dead, that that would not be something that that he would want to eat or partake of, and that he would uh, refrain from that because it was poison. Now, put yourself in Nehemiah's position for just a moment. He's living in a land that's not his own, and now he has this job that he didn't want, that he didn't apply for, and it's a job that if things go well, you get to live another day. But if someone is trying to, to take out the king, you don't know your next sip might be your last. And that's a, that's a heavy weight to, to carry. But anyway, Nehemiah hears the word, hears the report from Jerusalem that the walls are in shambles, the people are in distress, they are in great trouble. And Nehemiah within himself says these words, Somebody has got to do something. Have you ever said those words? Have you, as you come upon circumstances or a situation, that, that is just so, uh, just somebody's got to do something here. Somebody's got to do something. But Nehemiah takes that and adds to it. And, and it's something that I want to encourage each of us to do as well in the coming days and weeks. Nehemiah doesn't simply say, somebody's got to do something about it. And, and quite honestly, in our world, when we say, somebody's got to do something about it, someone over there, or over there, or that person, they're, they're best for it. Nehemiah says, somebody has got to do something about this, and it might as well be me. It might as well be me. And because of that, in 52 days, the walls of Jerusalem were restored. Nehemiah, this man who was not a priest, not a prophet, not a warrior, not a king, he was just an ordinary man. But the reality was, he was an ordinary world changer. And he had three qualities that we're going to look at this morning. And these three qualities, I want to encourage and to hopefully motivate you to realize that you and I too can be, should be, in many ways must be ordinary world changers. God can use you. 
You are specifically gifted for the place that you inhabit, for the world that you live. You are specifically gifted to make a difference for the kingdom of God. Ordinary world changers. And there are three qualities that we see here in the book of Nehemiah that he expressed and that we too can and should express. First of all, we see that Nehemiah, upon hearing the words of, of his brother and the report from Jerusalem, the first thing that he does is to sit down to cry. Nehemiah sits down and cry. In verse 4, we read it. When I heard these things, I sat down and wept. Nehemiah, at this point, is living in Persia, modern-day Iran, almost a thousand miles away from Jerusalem. And in some respects, Nehemiah lived in comfort. He had status. He had some influence. He might have taken the path that so many folks today in our world, well, that's sad. That's sad, but, but that's not my problem. Whoa, that's not my problem. I'm, I'm sorry for them. I'm sorry that they're dealing with that, but, but, it's not my, but it's not my problem. In our modern world, we come upon things perhaps in our social media of, of devastation, you know, with a recent hurricane, we are inundated with images and, and, and scenes of utter destruction. And so many times our humanity and its fallen nature and its fallen sinful way will read that, oh, that's bad. I feel sorry for those folks. And we move on. Or we uh, do something that, that is, we think is appropriate. Oh, thoughts and prayers to those folks. When in reality, within two seconds, we're not thinking of them and we're, we're not going to pray for them because of who we are as humans, as fallen sinful creatures. And we move on to the more pressing needs of our world. It's sad, but it's not my problem. I'm, I feel bad for what they are dealing with, but it's not my problem. Think about Jesus himself as he approached Jerusalem. What did he do? He cried. He wept over the city. It says because they were like sheep without a shepherd. Uh, some, of the, some of the most heartbreaking words in all of Scripture was Jesus in this moment when he said, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you under my wings as a chicken, as a chicken. Ten gathers her chicks, but you were not willing. And he wept. So let me ask you today, as you look out into this world, our world, this world that is growing darker and darker by the day, what breaks your heart? Is there something outside that breaks your heart? Or perhaps, perhaps something within the church of Jesus Christ that breaks your heart. What breaks your heart? Is it, is it child abuse or neglect? Uh, perhaps it's uh, those who are dealing with the aspect of human trafficking. You know, Ohio is one of the major centers for human trafficking in all of the United States. In fact, every year, 
uh, the Hall of Fame game that's held out in Canton, there are ministries that, that will take and they will do stuff just as simple as a bar of soap with a, a little piece of paper underneath of it because during the Hall of Fame week uh, in Canton, it's one of the highest days of sex trafficking in all the year for the United States. And the same is true during uh, the time of the Super Bowl. Now, now it affects other, other uh, professional sports other than football, of course. But maybe it's human trafficking. You see these people who are taken against their will and put into a life that is horrifying. Maybe that bothers you. Perhaps... Uh, you look out into your world and the thing that breaks your heart the most is seeing so many people in our world that seemingly have no hope. They have no hope. They're just going from day to day, not, no real purpose. Or perhaps it is those who are dealing with poverty and hunger. And in recent uh, weeks, we've been hearing about the work of the rescue mission here in town and, and all that they strive to do to help those who are dealing with poverty and hunger. And as you're hearing those testimonies, maybe God is, maybe God is working on something. Hey, you know, that really bothers me. That, that breaks my heart. But, in, but instead of, well... That's sad. I'm sorry that those folks are dealing with that. But it's not my problem. Let me encourage you today to let it in, to feel the pain, to truly embrace the burden, just like Nehemiah did. Nehemiah could have simply said, well, that's too bad. I'm sorry to hear that the walls are in, in ruin and the people are... I'm sorry, but it's not my problem. Instead, Nehemiah let it in. He embraced the burden. He felt their pain to the point that he sat down and it says wept for them. Perhaps whatever it might be. For me, one of the things that breaks my heart is what I would like to call disunity in the body of Christ. And that's not so much... Uh, within the church, folks having differences of opinion and, and at times uh, conflict. My greater thing is the reality that we who are in the church of Jesus Christ universal uh, can't get along with our brothers and sisters who are, who are under a different denomination. And I got uh, kind of pushed back in my second pastorate because uh, we were told that we were having our, this is our little portion of the city. Uh, they have their own little thing. They got there, down there the Methodists are, and over here the Assembly of God folk are, and over here is us Nazarenes, and down the street, you know, or whoever might, it might be, and we all stay separate, and we all do our thing, and the reality is the community never really changes. And so... Uh, my one of the things that I just feel strongly about is that now I understand you have to be careful. I understand that there are doctrinal differences and we can sit down and argue about those later. But the big three, if they believe in Jesus Christ as the as the, the true son of God, uh, divine in nature and power, they believe that he went to a cruel Roman cross, bled for sinners, was dead, buried, rose again on the third day. 
that God is omnipotent, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. In other words, if they believe in the big major aspects of faith, we can, we can disagree on some of the other things. But at the same time, we are brothers and sisters. And, and, and it's amazing to me that what happens when, when churches, and quite frankly, it's many times it's the small second, what I call secondary aspects of doctrine that we disagree on, and we are free to disagree on that. There's absolutely no problem with that. I love, I love uh, a video that I saw recently of Mark Lowry. Many of you know who Mark Lowry is from uh, the Gaither Vocal Band. He was in a, in a great big hall out in California, and uh, he was doing a concert during that, uh, during that time, and he was saying, well, are there any, are there any Baptists in the, in, the con- in the audience today? And people would cry, yay! And he said, how about the Methodists? And, you know, some folks would say, how about our Catholics? You know, and he went down through several different denominations. He even said Nazarenes, which I was kind of surprised that he said. And he said, oh, it's just so great to have all these different denominations in the same building and and, and and just wonderful that we can worship together. And then he went on to say, but I want you all to realize somebody's wrong. <laughs> somebody's wrong. And uh, we get so tripped up on the secondary. It's not that they're not important. Don't mishear me. It's not that they're not important. And it's not that we can't debate and discuss them. But secondary minor issues of, of theology should not keep us from joining hands with our brothers and sisters who fly the flag, who wave the banner of Jesus Christ as we attempt to uh, bring his revival upon our world. Uh, many of you may think, as you think about the things that break your heart, but I'm only one person. I'm only one person. What, what possible difference can I make? What can I do? I want you to realize something this morning. That if this is a burden from the Lord and the God of heaven, he is on your side. He is with you. And God plus one is a majority. And we can go into any situation knowing that we can make a difference. Nehemiah sat down and wept. Secondly, he knelt down to pray. In the second portion of verse 4, it says, For some days I mourned and fasted and prayed before the God of heaven. Thinking about the story of Nehemiah and all that's going to take place, I mean, absolute leadership genius. There have been courses that have been crafted based upon uh, the strategies and implied and invoked through the, through the work of Nehemiah. He investigates, he strategizes, he delegates, opposition comes and, and he deals with it. But all of this, all of this, all everything that is about to take place in the book of Nehemiah is all covered by intense and intimate prayer. This is the first of 12 different mentions of prayer within this book. First of 12. And I am convinced, I am truly convinced, 
that the revival that the churches are not experiencing that they desperately want all comes back to the place of prayer. We as Christians and as the church need to once again be men and women of prayer. I can remember uh, some of the ones that I looked to as mentors in my Christian life, and they would testify and they would tell stories about men and women who spent all night in prayer. And I think, man, I can't do that. I don't, I don't have the strength to do that. But it's just amazing. So many churches in our world today, and you'll probably be shocked about this, we, we take for granted some of the aspects of our service, but there are many churches um, in, our, in our nation, in our state, probably closer than we would like to admit, who have taken the place of corporate prayer out of the worship service in order to give, to give others a little bit more time. Prayer needs to be a part, not only of the worship service, but we need to come back to the place of being men and women of prayer. When was the last time we truly wrestled in prayer over something? Perhaps the difference that we are looking and wanting to make, make in our world is at the end of our prayer time. And I don't mean to be accusing or, or pointing a finger because the reality is I'm the type of, of person when I pray, I, I begin to pray and I'm dead serious. Lord, I'm going to pray. I'm going to, uh, this is what I have on my heart. And about five seconds later, a thought pops in my head. <laughs> and then another thought. And before I even recognize it, and you would think that 30 years as a Christian that I would recognize it, but I don't. I'm still growing. Uh, before I realize it, I've stopped praying five minutes ago, and now I'm thinking about, you know, what's the weather going to be like Saturday, and, you know, what's you know, a myriad of other things that aren't important. The devil will try to distract us in our times of prayer, but we must, again, be men and women who are given to the place of prayer. May, we might be facing things in our world that, that look like the walls are, are down. It looks impossible to make a difference. But I love that passage of Scripture. With God... Some things are possible. Well, it doesn't say that. Hang on a second. I told you I get distracted. Um, with God, all, all, all things are possible. Now, being the, the Bible student and theology lover that, that I am, and I love the biblical languages. I love to, to look into the Greek uh, more so than the Hebrew. Hebrew's hard. Um, and I went and I investigated this uh, verse where it says, with God all things are possible. And I looked at that word all, and, and you look at it in the original language, and, and it's, very, it's very nuanced. It's very, uh, there, there's a little bit to it. And when you realize and you look at it in depth, you come to realize that that word all means all. Everything. Nothing is outside of his, 
the possibility of him to do. All things are possible. If you look into a situation, maybe it's that thing that breaks your heart, and you look, it's impossible. I can't do anything. What? Well, one, remember, you plus God is a majority, and we need to be in a place of prayer. And with God, he is in the business of the impossible. He is in the business of the impossible. So share your burdens and be praying about that. That's what Nehemiah did. He, first of all, he sat down and he wept. His heart was broken. What breaks your heart today about the world in which we live? Secondly, he, he knelt down to pray. We need to be men and women, I can't stress it enough, that pray, that pray, that truly, truly pray. And lastly this morning, Nehemiah, and it's a, it's a call to us. Because sometimes, if we're honest, oh man, that's bad, I feel bad, and I'm going to pray for that. And then God puts that little thing in your spirit, okay, uh, time to pray is over, it's time to, to do something about it, and we, 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 we give out a million different excuses. And no doubt, no doubt Nehemiah could have done that, but he didn't. And so thirdly this morning, we are called to stand up to act. In chapter 2 of uh, Nehemiah, in verses 3 to 5, we read these words. As Nehemiah takes wine to the king as part of his job, I said to the king, may the king live forever. Why should my face not look sad when the city where my fathers are buried lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? The king said to me, what is it you want? Then I prayed to the God of heaven and I answered the king, if it pleases the king and if your servant has found favor in his sight, let him send me to, to the city in Judah where my fathers are buried so that I can rebuild it. In this situation, Nehemiah goes before the king with a sad countenance. Now it's lost upon us in 2022 how much of a big deal that is because the king could have very well, hey, you don't look the same. Hey, you look like something's bothering you and have him executed. And the reality is, Nehemiah, in this situation, took a great risk going to the king. The, he had never been sad before, and the king noticed. Nehemiah is saying in a very real way, as he's there before the king, this is not okay. What is going on is not okay, and it's not going to continue, not on my watch. And he goes back to that, to that phrase that I said earlier, somebody has got to do something, and it might as well be me. Now, you need to realize, just as in our world today, I mean, we could spend the, the remainder of our time and throughout the rest of today and through the week, dealing and listing all of the problems that we have in our, in our nation, in our, in our cities, in our counties. The world at that time had many other problems, many other 
pressing needs, just as there are around us today. But Nehemiah chose this one. And, and sometimes that's where we get tripped up. Sometimes that's where we uh, get defeated as we begin to think of all the things that are wrong in our world and all the things that need to be fixed. Let me encourage you again this morning. You can't do everything. You can't. You can't do everything. But you can do something. But you can do something. You and I are called to be ordinary world changers. Perhaps the revival that we pray for is on the other end of obedience. Perhaps the things that we are looking into our world and we are saying, man, somebody's got to do something about that. Maybe you and I are the somebody. Nehemiah was that way. He could have simply said, oh man, that's bad. I feel bad for him. Thoughts and prayers to the folks back in home. But he didn't. He sat down and he cried. What breaks your heart today? What truly in our world breaks your heart? Let me, let me just encourage you once again. Let it in. Let it in. Feel the pain. Embrace the burden because that very well could be from God. Let it in. Uh, realize that, that you and God are a majority. You can't do everything, but you can do something. You can do something. And Nehemiah knelt down to pray. And, and I can't stress this enough. And, and I've stressed it pretty, pretty hard this morning, but I can't stress it enough. We have to be in a place of prayer. If we're going to make a difference in our world, if we're going to make a difference in our churches, we have to be men and women who pray. I love Jeremiah 33, 3. Call to me, and I will show you great and unsearchable things you do not know. Do you realize that that is an invitation for us to communicate with the king of all the universe? He wants us to pray. And lastly, stand up and act. Do something about it. Somebody has got to do something, and it might as well be me. You see, your greatest burden often opens the door to your greatest blessing. Don't, don't worry this morning if you are deeply bothered by something. I would, I would say be worried if you're not. Be worried if you're not. I've seen this in, in the lives of others in my own. The thing that pressured me the most was often a pathway to some of the, the greatest blessings that, that I've ever enjoyed on this side of heaven. Now, that doesn't say that everything is all, all hunky-dory and things never go wrong. It does. It goes wrong. And that's where we come back to the aspect of praying. God 
the scripture says that all things work together for them who love God and are called according to his purpose. I love that verse. But so oftentimes in the church, we, we focus on, oh, God's going to take all the good things and he's going to make them all together into this wonderful little cake and it's all going to be good in the end. That's not what the verse says. That's not what, that's not what Paul is writing. Remember, Paul, who was Saul, who persecuted the church, says that all things, the good, the not so good, the ugly, God somehow in his sovereignty and in his grace will take all of that. The things that we didn't want to deal with the things that we wish we could go back and change. God is going to use all of that, is going to mold it and fashion it in a way that I wish I, I wish I could explain, but I can't because it's beyond my finite human brain to understand. He's going to take all of that and the end, end product is going to be good. So don't worry if things don't go uh, um, wonderfully as you seek to make a difference, continue on, continue on, because God is going to use it to make a difference in someone's life. And, and, and I'm clo I'll close with this. How do you know? And this is a lot of pressure, and I understand that. How do you know that someone's eternal future and address is not tied to your obedience? Someone had to tell you about Jesus. I was told about Jesus by one of the hardest teachers in Westgate Elementary through a Gideon Bible. Perhaps there is someone out there even today that is searching. They don't know what they're searching for. I know that's hard to understand in this age of technology and, and all the knowledge that we have. They're searching for something. And it's something that we have. And we, uh, like Nehemiah, if we would just simply stand up to act, we could not only change our world, but we could change their world. And even more than that, we could have the possibility of being a part of them changing their eternal address. Um, I'm looking forward to the day uh, when I am in heaven and, and looking forward to, to meeting up with some of the great saints that have gone on before me, to simply to go up. And, and many of them don't even realize it. Many of them don't even know it. Uh, and simply saying thank you for what you did. Uh, there was a song years ago um, talking about thank you uh, for, for just showing me who the Lord is. And that could be us if we would take the, the mindset of Nehemiah to sit down and cry, to, 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 to kneel down and pray and to stand up and act. Let's pray together. Father, I thank you for, for these good folks. I pray, Father, today that, that in these moments that you through your Holy Spirit have begun to, to, to reveal. Perhaps it's something that's been a burden for a while or maybe it's something brand new. I just pray, Father, that you would do the work that only you can do and unveil 
uh, a burden, something in our world that, uh, that needs our attention. And Father, maybe it breaks our heart. Let us have the courage to sit down and weep over these things. And Father, give us the strength to, to, to kneel down, to truly pray, to truly seek your face. And Father, help us to have the courage to stand up and act. We can't do everything, Father, but we can do something. And in the end, we, on a, on a perhaps lesser scale than Nehemiah, but, uh, but important, all the same, can make a difference in our world. I just pray that these would be days in which you would speak clearly to us. And we thank you, Father, for what you've done and what you're going to do in the days to come. For it's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to Champion Church of the Nazarene's weekly sermon podcast. We hope you were inspired by this week's message. We'd love for you to join us on a Sunday morning at 10.30 a.m. We are located at 3924 High Street Northwest in Warren, Ohio. You can also join us on Facebook Live. For more information about our ministries, or if you'd like to contribute to our ministries online, visit us at championnaz.org.